Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today you're in for a real treat because I have with me two individuals from Ernst & Young, EY, Paul Brody, Principal and Global Innovation for Blockchain, and Alexander Perry, the Executive Director of the Forensic Practice at the firm. We are here today to talk about an article that Vince Walden wrote based upon these two uh, gents in the July August issue of Fraud Magazine. The article was entitled Future of Fraud in a Blockchain World, and we're going to link to this in the show notes. But it really unpacked for me not only the power of blockchain and specifically how it can be used in a compliance practice, but it really helped explain it very, very well. So, gentlemen, with that introduction, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having us. So, Paul, perhaps I could start with you. Could you just give us an explanation of what blockchain is? Yeah, happy to. And I'll give you the what I call the plain English explanation to the best of my ability. Blockchains are transaction processing systems. And what that means very simply is they're kind of account-based systems where I can have an account, you can have an account, I can move you know, money or items of value from myself to yourself and to others. Blockchains, in that respect, they're, they're quite ho-hum. What they do is quite ho-hum. It's the how they do it that, that's very exciting to people. And in particular, there's three characteristics that, that make blockchain so exciting. The first is the concept of the distributed ledger. Everybody who works in a blockchain environment gets a copy of the full transaction history. That means you always have the best information, but also you always know that other information is truthful because there's a copy of it on all the different uh, nodes in the network. So you know what's going on and it's hard to tamper with the records. Secondly, there's the concept of the smart contract or the programmable ledger. So we can have not just shared information by distributing it across the participants, but we can also have shared business process. So if I do something and we've agreed on in advance, when somebody else shows that it's happened, then I can get paid automatically. So we can combine both shared facts and shared business process. And then finally, there's something called the consensus algorithm. And this is one of the cleverest tricks about blockchains, which is they're the first really secure transaction systems that have been around that allow you to very securely and reliably move items of value or track assets, whether they're Bitcoin or money or other things, and to do so without appointing a digital central authority in control of the whole system. They are, people talk about them as decentralized. There can be no central authority in these systems and still that they will operate with extraordinary levels of reliability. Well, one of the things that really intrigued me as reported in the article was that the EY Global Forensic Data Analytics Survey in 2018 said that 32% of legal compliance and anti-corruption professionals planned uh, to adopt blockchain. Has that been uh, your experience with your client base? Is there not just simply an, a great interest in this, but people actually ready to step forward and, and adopt it in whole or in part? 
there's an enormous amount of interest, but I would say you'd have to be careful about not getting ahead of where the market actually is. This technology is really in its relatively early stages. We're starting to get right now what I'll call industrial implementations where businesses are using this not just to sort of prototype and prove things out, but to start to implement business process and to write things like compliance rules into smart contracts. But we're really just in the early stages. So the 32% may be the goal, the number of people who are doing it. I would say right now it's more like 2 to 5%. Let's call them the most sophisticated early adopters of this technology. So what is the kinds of questions you're asked by your clients, Paul, who are very interested but perhaps have not yet adopted this or at least not got out ahead of the market yet? I think the biggest question is, you know, what kind of blockchain should I have? Should it be centralized? Should it be an, an enterprise type of system that has a, a managed infrastructure? Or should I work on the public networks? That's one type of thing. And then the other thing is, what are the business problems that we're solving? I would say typically, you know, it, the conversation almost always starts with a business problem and then moves on to how do I assure compliance of a business process or my business requirements while implementing that? Alex, if I could turn to you for a moment and ask you about, could you perhaps give us an example to explain the potential of blockchain using something along the lines of conventional banking analogy? Sure. I mean, if you think about the conventional banking analogy, a blockchain is like the full transaction history, uh, your full banking statements held within the blockchain all the time. So transactions are actually entered sequentially. You can't change the way they're entered. You can't change the sequence of them, and you can't change the contents of them. So the blockchain itself, when you download it, has the full history up until that time that you downloaded it of everything that has happened on that blockchain. So it's like every transaction you've ever had in your bank account from the time you opened it until now is in there sequentially and can't be changed. Now, a public blockchain has everybody's bank account all across so you can think about it, it's a lot of data and there's a lot of information in there, but it all can't be changed. And could you perhaps uh, expand that out to uh, any other uses that either you could discuss by analogy or some practical uses? And then, Paul, after uh, Alex gives us perhaps another example, if you have any that you might be able to share with us. Well, certainly blockchain, you think the current use case or the biggest use case is, of course, the coins, Ethereum, Bitcoin and the others. That actually is following the sort of the standard banking account. You have an account, you have a sequence of transactions, and you can share your coins that way. Paul, would you have any examples for us? Yeah, financial services are where blockchains got their start. And Alex is right. Like almost any kind of point-to-point, person-to-person, or business-to-business transaction, I can execute without a central intermediary. So I can move money, I can move assets, and so on. But that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Blockchains, you know, The distributed ledger means we can share information. The smart contract or the programmable ledger means we can share business process. And so almost any case where two companies need to work together is a candidate for uh, blockchain. And I'll give you a very good example. Let's take something like insurance. So if I buy a piece of insurance for, say, a car, and I have a car accident, and I have rules on my policy. I have a deductible. I have a list of authorized repair services. There's somebody who is contracted to come and check and see if, you know, the value of the damage, right? Using a smart contract on a blockchain, the rules and interactions and ultimately payments 
between all of those participants can be managed and automated in a single system. And at EY, what we foresee happening in the future is that basically almost every kind of business-to-business contract, right, the contract itself, the purchase order, the receipt of goods and the payment, all of those which today exist in very separate systems, right, the contract's done on paper, and then the purchase order is issued by the ERP system, and then somebody receives the product, say, in the warehouse system, and then finally the banking system does the payments. We can put all of that, payment, contract, purchase order, receipt, goods tracking, everything into a blockchain, and we can do it without a central in, central intermediary. So we believe we can take the cost down. Using blockchains, we think companies will be able to take the cost down of business-to-business transactions, not just the financial ones, but a lot of the operational ones, quite dramatically. So now I'd like to perhaps expand it or change focus just a little bit, because one of the areas that many of my listeners are going to be very interested in is the subset of fraud, corruption. But I was wondering if we could start with, in a blockchain world, what are the defenses you're going to need to perhaps um, try to prevent fraudsters from committing financial fraud? Or if it's uh, more appropriate to say, how does blockchain help prevent financial fraud? And Alex? Sure. Yeah, Tom, I think the If you think about the blockchain, the one great security feature of it is that it is non-changeable. It's immutable. Once it's written to the blockchain and the consensus has come and it's written, it can't be changed and it can't be modified. It can't be corrupted without destroying the whole block, the whole chain. So if you think about the sort of the typical fraud use cases where there's collusion to enter a bad transaction, there's the manipulation of the books after the fact. You can't have that with a blockchain. So our fraudsters are going to get, you know, they have to look towards the endpoints, the entry points to the blockchain. And while you can't actually change a record, you can certainly steal it. You can go in once you can get, if you can have access to somebody's private key, which is basically their username and their password, you can actually have access to anything that they have and you can then start to move that around. So in the case of a Bitcoin, it's much easier to go steal Bitcoins than try to, you can't duplicate or you can't fraudulently create one, but you can certainly go steal one from somebody. So the places where you really have to be secure are the edges, the electronic wallets, network endpoints, things like that. You need to make sure are secure. Right. You know, I often like to tell people Bitcoin might be the single most secure transaction processing system ever built. Right. We've learned so much about how to do secure transactions. Unfortunately, human beings aren't any smarter. Right. So it's still just as easy to steal our passwords. And so what happens with any system is you close a bunch of holes, other new ones will open. One of the other areas that we anticipate there'll be significant challenges going forward is as smart contracts mature. Let's say I have a smart contract between you and I that says that I will pay you upon delivery for a certain product. Right. And Delivery is triggered by, say, a shipment received notification from a UPS or a FedEx or a DHL. If I can figure out how to fake that shipment received notice, then I can trigger payment prematurely, for example. So, you know, we don't yet know how people will attempt to break into these secure systems, but we we do know that wherever you close off one set of opportunities, a new set will open up and it'll be... I think the overall solution might be more secure, but we still need to be very thoughtful about how we architect these systems. 
So, Paul, let me follow up with that. You touched on this a little bit earlier when you talked about two types of blockchains, public and private. Could you explain that and what you mean by anonymous by design and how that would uh, help or and hinder uh, fraud? Yeah, with pleasure. So public blockchains are the ones that we've all heard about, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on. And many people think blockchains are anonymous. They are absolutely not anonymous, right? Just like the internet, you have a number, an identity, a wallet on those blockchains, but it's not necessarily a secret. In fact, it's quite in public. And I always tell people only idiots actually use blockchains for crime because your transactional data is stored forever. And just as in the same way that we figured out how to match your name with your IP address, the same thing is going to be true over time and is becoming true with blockchains. We will figure out who the people are on the other end of those wallets. In fact, that's one of the big pushes that we do in our kind of blockchain audit business is try to understand which wallets are compromised, how do we know people are engaged in bad transactions. So public blockchains are entirely public, right? This is where a lot of the financial transactions and also the fraud and theft are going on. Private blockchains are an attempt to create secure private networks using blockchain technology. And they are widely deployed inside of businesses. We use them for things like the Microsoft Xbox content platform. They're called permissioned blockchains, and they just connect up the businesses that are authorized uh, to be on that network. So I was wondering now, perhaps Alex, you could start with this one. As you know, my audience is primarily an anti-corruption appliance professional, whether that be someone from a legal background such as myself, they may come from internal audit, they may be a CPA, or they may be from a, a different professional background. But I was wondering if you could uh, give some thought or some words to how blockchain, how the compliance profession would be aided by embracing blockchain as a part of an overall compliance strategy. I think that the anti-fraud professionals really need to, as you said, I think they need to embrace it as a technology. It's going to come. It's coming. It's here in many places. And you have to understand it. You have to understand how it's going to change the vectors of attack. It's going to, the business is going to start to shift. And so are the fraudsters. And so are the compliance units. We're going to have to have an understanding of how, if you're implementing smart contracts as part of your business, you're going to have to understand how do those smart contracts work? Where are the pieces that could potentially be corrupted in that use? Who are the partners you're working with? I think those are all the pieces that you're going to have to get your hands around and understand. The other thing you have to also think about is these are highly complex systems. While at the base, they seem very straightforward. There's a block, there's a consensus algorithm, and you write to it and it can't be changed. The ecosystem of it is actually much more complex. And you really need to understand that so that if something does occur, that when you're you know, going to fix, or you're going even even if you're doing upgrades, you have to watch out for those. You know that knee-jerk reaction to a problem because one small change in one area can really lead a much bigger issue downstream. So just thinking about it from those complex, it's a complex system. You have to understand how it works, and I think you need to be able to embrace it from that point of view and understand that it's new, but it's here. And Paul, would you have some thoughts along those lines for us? Just the one, I mean, Alex made some great points. The one point I would add, and one of the reasons why we love public blockchains is there's lots of fraud and theft and other kind of nefarious activity going on. That is actually good, 
right? That level of activity is a learning ground for all the stuff that might happen in enterprise systems. So we like public blockchains because we can learn a huge amount from them. So you shouldn't be afraid to use them. In fact, if anything, we think public blockchains are going to be hardened and mature and more secure much faster because of the large amounts of transactional activities that are going on, the value at stake, and the kind of criminal activity that's taking place. So I would say don't be deterred by that in public blockchains. You should regard that as you got a bunch of people out there testing digital contracts and technologies for weaknesses, and that's a good thing. So, gentlemen, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I've been visiting with Paul Brody. Paul is the principal and global innovation for blockchain and Alex Perry, executive director of Forensic Practice, both at Ernst & Young, EY. Gentlemen, I was wondering if uh, anyone wanted to follow up with either one of you. Could a listener email you? And if so, could you give them your email address? No problem. I am paul.brody, B-R-O-D-Y, at ey.com, and I look forward to hearing from listeners. Sure. And mine is alexander.perry, it's a P as in Peter, E-R-R-Y, at EY.com. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. This has been just a fascinating exploration, and I hope we can continue the conversation. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.